Journey into the bizarre and uncanny with the new award-winning Australian horror movie After She Died. Follow the story of Jen, a grieving teenager who discovers that her father's new girlfriend looks exactly like her dead mother. That's never a good thing. As she sets out to uncover the truth behind this mysterious doppelganger, she begins to unravel her small-town sinister secrets, and the consequences will be bloody. Stephen King fans will love this small-town supernatural thriller that harkens back to the likes of Pet Cemetery and Misery. After She Died is now available to buy and rent on demand, starting as little as 99 cents. Very nice. And uh, as always, I'm here to tell you about our... Uh benevolent corporate overlords at Fangoria. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world, and it's been 40 years since then, and they are better than ever. Each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because, of course, we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more and to subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your yearly subscription. And with all that said, let's get on with the show, shall we? Hi. My name is Stephen King. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Got a returning guest on the show for you today, gang. He's a comic book artist, New York Times bestselling author, musician, and attorney. What the fuck? Attorney. Who is perhaps best known for his work on Daredevil, She-Hulk, and a variety of Star Wars novels, including last year's Star Wars Light of the Jedi, which is, I gather, highly popular within that franchise's notoriously difficult-to-please fan base. In his previous appearance on the show... We talked uh, Mike Flanagan's Gerald's Game, but today he's here to pull off the very cruel prank of making Vespi and I watch and discuss the new Firestarter, which released earlier this year through the folks at Universal Blumhouse. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the KingCast stage, Mr. Charles Soule. Charles, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm still recovering from uh, from that movie. You were not wrong about uh, it being kind of an ordeal, but we'll get to that, right? Yes, mm. yes. I want to ask you about this attorney business. You're an attorney? Yep. Uh, been hiding yeah, us I, from me all along. I had no idea. Yeah, no, I, I have, I have been uh, an attorney for a long time. It, um, it was something that I started doing. You know, like I, I went to law school out of, out of college, and then started doing that. And uh, it, it was one of those things where I, I studied for the bar. I took the bar exam. I walked out of that test and was like, oh, dear God, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've made a huge mistake. You know, to quote uh, Job. Um, <laughs> so. So from then on, I was like, well, I got, I have to figure out, I have to like work my way out of this basically. And and it took me a long time. It took me like nine years before I really started making meaningful steps into a, a creative career, which is what I knew I wanted all along. Um, and so, yeah, so I was, I was practicing law for like 15 years alongside building up the career at, at Marvel and, and DC, which, you know, which is very difficult to do. You have to like break in. It's a very methodical and laborious process, takes years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so there was, there was a period of overlap of, I don't know, like four or five years toward the end where I was, I was a full-time attorney doing like running my own immigration law practice at the same time as I was writing like six titles for Marvel and DC. <laughs> That's funny. Um, That's bizarre. I guess um, that made you very informed for She-Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, absolutely. Like I was, I don't, I actually, now that we can, uh, now that the show is, is airing, I think this week as we record this, um, I, I think I'm allowed to say now I was actually a, a legal consultant for that show. Um, oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. They, they had like, you know, I was, I, it was during the pandemic. So like I talked to the, um, I talked to the writer's room, like over zoom and like, you know, help them navigate some of the legal stuff that, that Jennifer Walters was going to do. So I was actually just out in LA for the premiere. So it was nice. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. From lawyer to now recently Lucasfilm consultant. That's a big yes. deal, right? Must yeah, be excited it, about that. Yeah, super. It's so that's something that, um, you know, was was it came out of the fact that I've been doing a lot of work for them um, in the comics since like 2015. I've been writing tons of different right. characters in, in all their various comic runs from like Darth Vader to Lando to Poe Dameron, whatever. And um, then I, I helped build this whole High Republic thing, which is where that Light of the Jedi book you, you mentioned mm-hmm. was kicked that whole thing off. And so they they invited me to, um, I guess, level up uh, earlier this year. And so now I'm I'm you know, formerly a creative consultant over there, which is cool. And so they, they have me just kind of offering up my story brain and my Star Wars brain on all, all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. from like publishing to comics to animation to, you know, mm-hmm. the big stuff too. So it's, uh, I can't talk about any of it. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, is, that's, that's great. Um, tell us yeah. some shit we're not supposed to know. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> do so you know, do you for, know your short lived run as a consultant? At least. I, I, yeah, I told him, I'm just going to blow it right now. Um, Obviously, I don't expect you to, you know, to answer that question seriously, but I'm asking this question seriously. Uh, mm. How much shit do you know that like is not public yet that, you know, would be very spoilery just in general? Um, like if we're, if we're going to say like from a one to a 10 and one is like general public and 10 is like Kathleen Kennedy, Mm -hmm. uh, right now I would say I'm probably like an eight and a half. Oh, Jesus. That's like top secret security clearance, baby. Yeah. They, they, uh, they really, they take it all very, very seriously. Um, so I, you know, I'm actually starting to sweat a little bit as we're talking about this. Uh, (laughs) There is but, a sniper I, trained on your face right, right now. Yeah, I know. They're in the yeah. trees around. Like, I'm, I'm looking at the woods right now yeah. outside where I'm recording this, looking for the, <laughs> the sniper rifles. But we, we, won't, we won't force you to reveal THX 2238. <laughs> oh, man. If only. But, um, like, what is that? I'm, what I'm curious about, not so much what you do know. Uh, I'm sure you know all kinds of cool shit. But what is it like carrying around those kind of secrets when you know how rabid people are for secrets like that? You know, you kind of just like anything else with this stuff, and because I you you compartmentalize it, right? You you think I know these things, and I am just never going to talk about them. Like I am, it is never going to be something I'm going to discuss in any detail, right? Um, you know, unless it's with some of the other people who are within that that circle who already know about it, or, or you know, I'm working with on some of the stuff. So you just kind of. I don't know. I mean, the, the trickiest thing is like my family is super, super into Star Wars mm. and like they they know I know all these things. And so it's like it's, you know, like my my older brother and like my just everybody's like really, really like they they speculate about these things openly in front of me, knowing that I know the answers and I just <laughs> kind of just don't answer. Um, so it's I don't know. It's it's not like a like a terrible burden that keeps me up at night, but it is 
you know, it's mostly, I think it's cool. Mostly I think it's fun. Um, but also stuff sort of twists and changes so much in the production process that like the things I know today, like who knows if, if any of them will even right, right. to the, to the screen or, right. the, or the page. Um, but and you know, even my, if they I, do get filmed, it, there's no, <laughs> there's no guarantee that it's going to come out like that. Like I remember mm-hmm. like the early breaks about the opening of force awakens being Luke Skywalker severed hand, holding the yeah. lightsaber floating through space. And everybody's like, Oh, that's horseshit. Then you find out later. It's like, no, that was actually true. They just changed their mind before they yep. released yep. the movie. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it is interesting to be part of like some of the things are, you know, like it, it's neat to, to sort of, because I, when I, when I came on board in this job, there was sort of like a grand unveiling of like, here's all the stuff that's going on. And, um, so it was neat to see how like just different phases and how much development there is and how, how much time and focus is being put into to the whole universe at every right. level. Right. It's, it's, it is a, none of this stuff is like half ass or off the cuff. It's all very, like very, very, very thoughtful. Um, which is I neat. don't know. I heard Grace Randolph on YouTube say that her uncle's cousin's brother's sister who works as a janitor at Lucasfilm mm-hmm. says it's chaos over there. I don't yeah. know who to believe. Yeah. yeah, well, I'll tell you what. In in 20 years when I'm allowed to like, you know, be interviewed for the making of whatever project <laughs> right. is, is being done, you know, I'll, I'll give you my, my version of it and you can read it then. Assuming <laughs> any of this still exists in 20 years. Um, I would imagine that the hardest part of like uh, having knowledge like that and not being able to speak on it would be seeing people speculate in the wrong direction Mm. and just like totally fucking up whatever their theory is and wanting to be like, actually, no, you smug bastard. That's not what's going to like. I would, I would have a problem with that. I would feel like I would have to be like biting my tongue all the time. And as someone who does not want to ever be biting their tongue for any reason, like that would, I think that would drive me crazy. When, when King came on the show and we had to sit on that secret for 10 months, holy Jesus. I don't know that I've ever had to bite my tongue so hard in my life. That was, that was nuts. And you must have like a, a ton of shit like that floating around in your head. So I don't, I don't know that I envy it, honestly. Ah, it's, it's, it's just fun, man. Like it's, it's neat to think that stuff that I'm working on is going to one way or the other is going to be, you know, in, in the culture, right? There's no, there's like Star Wars is Star Wars. There's no way it's not going to be. And so it's just, it's just, you know, it's fun. And in terms of the secrets, like that's the price of admission, you know, like I, either I can do that or I can't. And if I can't do that and I like, don't like it, Mm -hmm. then I can't have the job. And so for me, the, the, joy of working on the stuff vastly outweighs any like right. you know little issues like that so it's i don't yeah don't see you have a normal brain my brain is, <laughs> my brain is all broken and doesn't like people so yeah. of course that's the i'm gonna take the the glass half glass half uh empty version of that uh, of course, but, of but congratulations on that uh, that must be a you know fucking dream come true for um, sure, for a young lad such as yourself, it, it absolutely is. And and, the, yeah. and I must say, they they're lucky to have you too. Anybody that's read your any of your Star Wars work in the comics mm. or the books, you know, the, you know your shit. You you have a very. I, I I'm trying to find the right word. You have a very keen way of delivering what people want, while also kind of pulling that little Ryan Johnson magic of giving it to them in a way that they didn't expect. You know. But not to the point where, you know, you're pissing off the fan base that that turned on Ryan Johnson, you know, as well. It's like yeah. uh, it, it's it's a really delicate line, that whole Star Wars thing, because everybody wants 
what they felt when they were kids watching those movies and they, but they don't know how to articulate it. Right. So, so it's uh, or at least not, I mean, that's a broad stroke. Obviously there are people that can't articulate their, their feelings and do so as adults, but there are a whole lot of people that knee jerk instantly. And then just like kind of lock themselves in a corner and demand the same thing. And then when the same thing, you know, is given to them, they go, why is this the same thing? I want something different. So, so it's, it's an unenviable position on that uh, front, but you are, uh, somehow threading that needle uh, in your work so far. And so I'm really excited to hear, you know, what you are, are working on in the coming years, you know, and how that's influencing the. Well, the, that is awfully stuff. kind of you, Eric. I appreciate that. I am. I, I'm just, I don't know. I just, it's one of those weird things where the thing you love aligns with the thing you can do. And that right. I don't think is, is necessarily very often, you know, I guess it's kind of like you guys are doing it with the King stuff. Right. And so it's kind of, it's sort of along those lines with me. Like, I, I love it. I don't want to fuck it up. I want to do a great job with it. I want to tell stories that appeal to me. And somehow my version of that lines up with what what seems to work for the franchise and the no. fans right now. Like, who knows? Maybe in six weeks, I'll, I'll blow it all. By the time this airs, I'll, you know, put something out that everybody hates. There actually, there is a, there's a moment coming up in Star Wars 32. So mark my, uh, no, 31. So mark my words on that one. That is going to be a... A moment that I'm gonna get, I'm gonna hear about. So we'll we'll see. Well, if they, I haven't gotten the notes back from Lucasfilm yet, so I might not actually be able to do it. But as of now, it's in the comic script, and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But, so before yeah. we before we move on, let me let me throw a number of just rapid fire first thing that comes to your mind questions at you about Star mm-hmm. Wars. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, favorite Star Wars movie? Uh, Empire, Empire. Yeah, mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back. Excellent. Uh, favorite Star Wars creature. Rancor. When is the Indiana Jones five trailer dropping? <laughs> I, you know what? Here's, here's, I'm trying, to think, I'm trying to think if I can say. Don't say I, a I fucking word. You're going to get yourself in trouble, Charles. You're right. You're right. I, I won't say a word. I won't say a word, but let's all, let's all be excited about Indiana Jones five because I, I can't wait for it either. Yes. Same here. Same here. All right. it, I, I got to say just even the release of that silhouetted image that they did for the, what was that? The it was celebration? celebration, right? You know, even I, that I'm looking at it going, fuck me. It's Indiana Jones already. I'm, I'm in, you know, there's no, there is no like, Oh, I'm crystal skull. I didn't like whatever. Indy's done. No Spielberg. Like none of that. I saw that image. I'm like, okay. All right. I, I was, so, I was in the theater. I was in the celebration, like the big, huge arena for that mm-hmm. when that happened. And you know, like Harrison Ford showed up, John Williams was there. Like, you know, like it was, it was really a lot of exciting things were happening in that like, opening presentation and celebration and right. that that image though like the indiana jones silhouette like is the thing that really sticks with me even with john williams being you know all of it like that <laughs> right. it was so perfect so um yeah i'm just excited as excited as you guys are for sure right on now here's something we are not excited about the movie <laughs> that you have chosen to talk about today yeah. um we're going to be talking about the new fire starter and i feel like how do i put this um, I feel if you're associated with this movie in any way, you probably don't want to hear this episode <laughs> because I would imagine that we're going to no, be Charles loved it. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Well, uh, we'll get to that in a moment, but, but it, at the very least, I think some of us will be saying very critical things here. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but we must speak our minds and we, and we must speak our truths. Yes. So let's just very quickly, uh, that's me. Like it. Don't like it. I'd say I'd give this a D C minus D. Very well. Ish. Charles. 
Like or don't um, like? I mean, you know, I, I I watched this movie after after reading the the novel uh, and then watching the '84 adaptation with Drew Barrymore and Mar- uh, Martin Sheen and all that, and then watching this one like all in a row over the span of just like you know four or five days. And Christ, so that's a lot of fire starter. It was a lot of fire. So I also listened to um, the Prodigy tune, like on loop, the whole time, just for, for all of those hours, which is playing. So it is a lot of fire starter for me. Um, and I, I found this to be uh, deeply disappointing in in very specific ways, which we will we will get to. So I, I yes. would give it same rating as, as as Eric, if not worse, D minus mm-hmm. maybe. I will say that I did not like it, but also that I thought it took some swings that with the changes they made yeah. that I thought were pretty ballsy. And part of me has to admire that. So, yeah. um, I think that's why I'm, I'm kind of in that C minus D thing. Cause even though they don't work, right. And they are wildly don't work. Yeah. <laughs> there's a little part of me that goes, you know, fucking the way they ended this movie, it is absolutely the wrong way to end this movie. Yes, but it is. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta appreciate that. They like said, fuck it. Let's, let's try this. You know, I don't know. Yeah. There's just something that I'll I'll take that over. You know, like a by the numbers, just boring. You know, well, consider step adaptation. I mean, Do you credit, go ahead, Scott. Well, Sorry. think of it from this angle. Like, like they remade Pet Cemetery, and the big swing mm-hmm. they took on that one was killing off the little girl instead of Gage, right? Right. Um, but then they didn't really do anything yeah. very interesting with that. At least here, the swings that are being taken are they're never boring. Like when changes started occurring, I was like, oh, what's this? I started honestly up until the point where things like really kind of separated from the source material. I was like having to force myself to focus on this thing, like having to concentrate and stare at the TV and let it happen and absorb it. Uh, But around that point, I actually started perking up a little bit and was like, oh, what are you doing here? Uh, Turned out nothing that worked, but I, (laughs) you know, it was still interesting in its own way. And at least they attempted to do something with it. Whereas with the change in Pet Cemetery, I just felt was kind of surface level and inconsequential, yeah. ultimately. Which very well might be a problem for a very select group of viewers for this movie. The people that are right. that have seen the the original, you know, over and over and recently and have read the book and kind of know the beats already. You know, may, maybe that's uh, more of a an obsessive King reader problem than a, a general audience problem. But mm but I agree with you. I felt the exact same thing where I'm just as it's doing the things that it had done before, but like blander, I was like, mm, you know, it was hard to focus on it, but, and, and I did perk up whenever the changes happened. And, and uh, like we've all said, the changes aren't for the better, but like, no. at least that made me go, okay, let's see where this goes. There was, so, so I watched, I watched this on a plane and uh-huh. oh, there was, God, how punishing. There, yeah. Uh, there was a part in it when there's no escape. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, there was a part in it when um, Andy McGee, obviously the, the fat, the, the the father figure in the movie, uh, who has the ability to. We should should we run the plot real quick? Yeah, for, yeah, for go sure. Seven? Okay, so so Firestarter is is based on a book from like I figure like eighty one or something like that from Stephen yeah. King eighty eighty one around there. Early eighties um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. The the plot is that you have a two two college students in the I don't know early seventies, mid seventies who undergo a, uh, like an experiment at, in the psych ward of their, of their college, the psych lab, whatever of their college for 200 bucks each. 
and and they each so so there's like 20 people in the in the experiment everybody gets an injection half the people get water half the people get water plus this this weird chemical called lot six and when that happens it all goes to hell people are like you know losing their minds clawing their eyes out it's utter mayhem but some of them get psychic powers and two of those people are andy and vicky mcgee who end up getting married they both like they're two of the few who don't go totally nuts they end up having psychic powers out of this chemical. Uh, Andy McGee's power is he can he can do something called the push, which is like he can use his mind to make people do whatever he wants, which is something we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, his wife Vicky has the ability, like sort of minor telekinesis. So they, you know, that is very interesting to the government group called the shop that has run the experiment. They are keeping an eye on these two to see what's going to go on, especially when they have a little a little baby named uh, Charlene or Charlie in the book. Um, Charlie grows up. Um, becomes a little girl. Turns out she has the ability to start fires with her mind. She has pyrokinesis. And this is a, a situation of great concern to her parents uh, because she's like lighting, you know, lighting her mom on fire when she's not getting fed quickly enough, stuff like that. Um, lighting the beds on, or, you know, the, the the crib on fire, all that business. It's scary. So um, they, they kind of teach her never, ever, ever, ever to use this firepower. Um, the government is is becoming aware of this, though, and and they end up sort of you know trying to trying to kidnap uh, Charlie to to experiment experiment on her, use it for their purposes. Um, the mother is killed in that attempt. The father and the daughter Andy and Charlie go on the run. They eventually uh, get captured by the government agency. Um, there are many experiments done. All kinds of stuff happens until the the huge finale when Charlie uh, loses her shit and finally decides the time has come to become a true fire starter and starts a lot of fires and uh, a lot of people die. And then she goes to the New York Times and tells everybody about it. I guess it's Rolling Stone in the in the book, New York yeah. Times in the first uh, the first movie. And then something totally different happens in the, the 2022 movie, which we she will. She doesn't get tell twice. nobody shit. Yeah, she doesn't. She <laughs> right. she has she has she another no rat. Another adventure. 2022 Charlie McGee <laughs> ain't no tattletale. <laughs> no, she's man. I don't know. So how do you, so that's that's what happens, right? You yes. have this little kid who can start fires. The government wants her. She she blows a lot of shit up and gets gets away, but her father dies in the process. Um, the the. I think the book is great. You know, like I'm a novelist myself, like, mm-hmm. like the, the economy with which Stephen King sets up the scenario jumps you right into the action. It's, it's the dad and the daughter on the run. You get all the backstory kind of layered in beautifully with flashbacks. Right. Um, it's really good. Really good. I really like it. It's one of my favorites. The 84 movie is a pretty straight ahead adaptation, has a great cast. It's got young Drew Barrymore as Charlie and she does. I, she is really, really, really good in it. In my opinion. Um, mm. Mm-hmm. David Keith is the dad. Martin Sheen is like the head of the government thing. Who's great. You've got uh, George C. Scott as a, as a, as a native American Vietnam veteran assassin. Interesting <laughs> casting. Um, even at like his age, right? Like how old George, I mean, you know, the movie was set in 84 and like, and the dude was like 65 years old in the movie, right? Like that. Don't, anyway, it doesn't yeah. matter. George C. Scott can't go wrong. Um, I think you can go wrong on that one. <laughs> I guess you can. I guess you can. I guess you can. Um, so that, but it was good. I mean, I thought the fire effects at the end, I don't know the last time you guys saw that 84 one, but like when the finale kicks Pretty off, recently. it is unreal how they, how like good it is. And it's not CGI because they didn't have CGI. So yeah. it's like 
fireballs are blasting through, like huge, like asteroid fireballs are blasting through oh, the air and like blowing up helicopters and shit. It is. Yep. Lots of stuntmen got, got burnt on that movie for, for reals. <laughs> and, I, I uh, believe it, yeah. you know, and it was, it's, I found it to be very effective and, you know, yes, there are definitely some, some weird choices that are made, but uh, all in all, I enjoyed it. The, the new one, I don't know. Where do we want to begin? Well, I, okay. So you prefer the original to the new one? Yes, for sure. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I agree with that. What? I hate wow. the original so much. Look, I'm just not a fan of this property, period. I'm not really a big mm -hmm. fan of the book. I don't I don't think it's his worst book, but it's just the one I'm very, very disinterested in. You know, hmm. it, I, like I just I don't I don't care about this story. I don't think it's. I, I don't I just don't like it. That's all. Mm -hmm. And so the book didn't really work for me. Um, the original movie. I just, I can't, I'm not watching that shit again. I don't care how many times we do it on this show. Like <laughs> that last one we did, we did a commentary on it and fucking yeah. all of us just about fell asleep. Um, very much not a fan. And I was wondering while I was watching this new one, I was like, do I like this better than the old one? Or do I just hate the old one so much that <laughs> this one is better by comparison? And I am no closer to hand, uh, having an answer, gentlemen. Hmm. Here, here's something I will say, though. Um, a lot of the problems with this new one are like transplanted from the previous movie. Uh, like Zac Efron as Andy McGee as the dad. It's David Keith, right? Not yeah. Keith David's the guy from the thing. Yes, exactly. Which I, thought I, I, was I always have to stop myself <laughs> before saying that saying the, the wrong name there. Uh, but they both have a similar issue where they're just kind of bland in a role that shouldn't be that right the the character in the book is he's engaging and like you you're kind of with him because you you feel his fear of his daughter but his love of his daughter it's a complex thing it's this you know really fun character he has a really fun or not fun character it's a really good characterization with fun powers right mm -hmm. like his power of being able to 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 push people and to convince them that a a one dollar bill is a hundred dollar bill and you know and, and things like that i think is a really fun cinematic thing that just we don't really get stuff like that in in all of our super powered cinema that little things like that aren't what's explored and there's so much fun that you can have with that and uh you know i i feel i felt like in order for a fire starter movie to work you have to love the father-daughter relationship at the center of it if you don't mm -hmm. then then it's just window dressing and i think both movies even though i i agree with you i like drew barrymore much more in the role you know, both movies, I don't really buy that that relationship. And uh, so yet they've yet to make a, a fire starter movie that like can actually, you know, grab what works in the book for me. You know, can we can we divert for a second to talk about the push? Because that's that's sure. the thing that in all three like and I, I like hearing you guys talk about it. I almost think I did myself a disservice by by really going through all three versions of this in, in like five days because I'm filling in blanks all over the place from like, if the movie doesn't have it, the book does. So like, I, anyway. <laughs> so, so, but yes. the push, right. So in, in, in all three versions, like he's using it for like the, the, the dumbest shit, right? Like he, right. he opens a little consulting business to help people like have more confidence and ask for a raise or, you know, like somebody wants to quit smoking. So he helps them or, you know, and, and even when he's on the, um, you know, when they're, when they're on the run with the escape, he kind of uses it for cooler stuff, but, but not, yeah. you know, not, not really, but, but 
it feels like if you have this ability, you should not have any of these problems at all because we <laughs> see him using it to, to make people kill themselves, to make people, uh, you know, do things that are completely against their nature. Like, and, and apparently it lasts for like a long time. Like if he does it once, it lasts for a while. So he should be able, he should have been able to use this years ago to make himself completely safe, completely rich, completely, you know, impenetrable in terms of anything that was going to happen to him or his wife or his daughter. So it's right. the, like this dude has zero imagination, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> um, would, would actually oddly makes it more authentic. You know, some average person gets it. They're not going to be thinking in grandiose, you know, terms like a novelist would have like, oh, how would I set up my world around me? It'd just I be guess, like, oh, this what is would you guys do with it? Like, it, let's say, let's say everything is the same up until the point where like you, you have it and, mm-hmm. and you have, you know, you marry Vicky and you know, you have the baby and you're, or, or even before that, like as soon as you realize you have it, like what would you, to, I don't know, like it just seems even, even a, a, a person who has not a lot of imagination would think of better things than Andy McGee does. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what you could do with that at a <laughs> bank, like talking to a banker, like, cause since everything is just like numbers in a computer, couldn't you theoretically mm-hmm. sit down with like the head of your local bank and like push them to like make you like put a, a you know a five hundred million dollars in your account you know yeah like, but you're oh, gonna get caught there's fucking cameras yeah. all over a well, bank oh, oh what happens when you get caught you go hey I didn't do it and they go you didn't do it and then they fucking walk away you know that's see immediately Eric you're like yeah. well this would be like you know and and even with the limitation they put on it like it gives him headaches he's got to wait like three months in between each really like big one you know right. like it, it's. I think you just like work your way up the chain, right? You start because everybody's got people within a field of influence that, that they know. So like, you know, who's, who's, who's the person who, you know, who's like in a, in a, you know, more powerful than you are in whatever the field might be. You right. give them a push to introduce you at some point to a person above them. And then you keep using it every three months. And then you, you eventually you're, you know, pushing the president of the United States, you know, like that's, uh-huh. and that's just off the top of my head, right? Like there's the financial side should be easy. The, you know, the, you know, you have the president order the shop to disband, you know, you, you, whatever the thing is you want right. to do, you, you order a billionaire to build you up, to give you his billion dollars, to donate it to your foundation, <laughs> to make a bunker. So you're, you have your own private army, whatever, like, you know, Charles, are you saying you have the push and that's how you got your job? <laughs> the Lucasfilm gig? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, look, people, people <laughs> have that ability kind of, you know, like you don't think, like it's, it's extension just, of like charisma, right? Charisma. Can, yeah. That's, yeah. that's it, you know? And it's, anyway. yeah, we were just talking about that, uh, uh, with Gary Witta. We had Gary Witta on the show and oh, we yeah. were talking about Denzel and like, you know, the time that I met Denzel is just like, he's a dude, he walks into a room and you just can't help but look at him. Tom mm-hmm. Cruise has this energy. If you've ever seen like, you know, Dwayne, the rock Johnson going out on and doing, you know, any sort of promo thing, like he goes to CinemaCon or comic con or any of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, he's got that, that thing. Schwarzenegger had that thing and, you know, in, in his prime for sure. And it's like, uh, there's just people that have that thing. It, it is almost supernatural, which, uh, you know, I don't know. I like you speaking of the limitations though. I think we should talk about that because mm-hmm. that's, that's something that I really love the idea that if you have, if you have something ridiculously overpowered, if you are a ridiculously over overpowered person, that there is that kink in the armor. And then in, in Andy's case, it is the fact that if he pushes himself too hard, he's going to tear something in his 
brain. He's going to give himself an aneurysm and he's going to die. Right. But then you, you know, when that kind of goes against the, the, the whole idea of like, well, I'm going to set up a small business where I'm convincing people to stop smoking and all that, because <laughs> those are little pushes. So it doesn't matter. You know, that, that that's, that's fine. Like then it gets ambiguous and it kind of gets weird. Like, like if they, it was a blanket, anytime I use it, no matter if it's to convince a cabbie that it's a $1 bill is a hundred dollar bill or to convince the president to like, you know, nuke North Korea or whatever, you know, it's the same level of effort and, and risk of this is going to be the, the Russian roulette, you know, time, <laughs> this is going to be the time where I hit the live chamber, you know, mm-hmm. it's like that I think is really interesting. And then, and like, I think also as you, as a, uh, creative and storytelling person can see a lot of benefits in that because, because then that's going to force your character to not use his overpowered stuff unless it's, there's no other choice, right? right. Like what, what if Obi-Wan could use the force, but every time he did, it was a, there was a small chance he was going to have a fucking stroke and drop dead, you know? Yeah. 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 Look, I, I mean, you know, again, this is, this is me looking at it from the lens of Stephen King explained exactly how it worked. And like the dude could, you know, it's, it's said explicitly, if he waits three months, he's good. Like he can do, he can do one big one or like four little ones. If he gives himself like two or three months to recover between. Right. So I don't know. It's, it's, it, it's such a cool power and, and the story is the story and I'm not, you know, it, it needs to be limited the way that it is in order for everything to work the way that it does. Because as you said, if he's like omnipotent, this, you know, it doesn't really work the same way, but, um, but it also like underlines the main character though, because the thing that's special mm-hmm. about Charlie isn't that she can start fires. It's that her power is unlimited. Yeah. Right. Whereas yeah. everybody who's who's got the lot six, you know, their their DNA is like merged with this whatever the fuck is happening. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to just kind of break it down on that level, that's what makes Charlie special and why the shop wants her so badly is yeah. because this is somebody who like doesn't have those limitations that, you know, that is like, you know, in, in like comic book terms, you know, she'd be like, you know, a a, a pure mutant or whatever. She'd be mm-hmm. the Jean Grey. Right. That yeah. that just yeah. has unlimited powers. So. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, like all that stuff, like builds, they're like little teeny tiny character things that just never seem to make it into the adaptations, at least in a satisfactory way for me. Yep. Yep. Um, but what I was saying before, before we got into that was I was watching yes. this on a plane and there was a beat when the shop comes to like capture them and, uh, Andy uses his power to like pull a trick on the rainbird of the, of, of the 2022 version. Yeah. And I like, I like the, the, there was an announcement over the, the the plane, like the captain came on or something like that. And I kind of zoned out and I looked back and like the, whatever the thing had happened had happened. And all I would have had to do was, was reach over, tap the little, like go back 10 seconds thing to see it. Like that's, that's sort of, you know, where I was with this movie and I was watching, I was like, yeah, you know, I, whatever. Yeah, sure it wasn't that. Um, so I don't know. It, well, it, by the time it's doing anything interesting, it has robbed the audience of any goodwill they might have had. You know, yeah. the the first, I don't know, let's say hour of this movie, maybe a little less, is just stupefyingly boring. Mm-hmm. Like I could not, like I said, I had to like force myself to focus and pay attention to what was happening because every five seconds, my eyes would start drifting or my brain would start like, Oh, what am I going to, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Like th- that mm-hmm. kind of shit. Um, so it was for, for me, it was a really, really bad experience up until it started making those changes. Like I said earlier, and then it, 
then I was kind of warming up to it. Still not liking what they were doing, but right. but at least compelled by it. Um, I mean, well, we should we should like get into the the. Ch- I mean, that's what this show is for, right? Like getting <laughs> right. Into, you know, so, um, okay, so they did a lot of stuff. Um, I was excited about Kurtwood Smith showing up. I, mm-hmm. I I thought I heard like his voice kind of pops up in the opening credits. He's the doctor who administered the whole Lot Six program, mm-hmm. Doctor Wanless. And then, and then he actually shows up in the in the movie, and that is that was exciting. Um, I did like that part uh, <laughs> to a degree. And, I mean, you get it, it's. I will agree with you because Kurtwood Smith's awesome. Like anybody, mm-hmm. I grew up with RoboCop, and like yeah. that dude's criminally underused. I know that he's a huge TV star, and you know that '70s show everybody knows him from. From that as Red's dad, or Red Red. He his name is Red. Um, you know, as the main character's dad, and. Uh, uh, he's had a hugely successful career, I'm sure, but uh, he still feels underutilized. But this is one of those things where if you if you pay attention at all to how movies are made, especially low budget low budget movies, um, like he, you know that they got him for a day and they just sat him in a room to to deliver a a two page monologue, right? <laughs> this movie has that all over the like the whole yeah. finale of this movie is set at the shop, right? The DSI, the big yeah. like mega budget you know, black ops scientific installation. And, and the whole thing is in one concrete hallway that they keep, <laughs> they keep redressing. And, and it, in like a parking garage in a concrete hallway is all you see of this, this, you know, incredibly mm-hmm. high level scientific installation. Right. And, and or, was, just real quick, if you compare that to even the very dull eighties movie, at least mm-hmm. uh, as Scott and I consider it very dull eighties mm-hmm. movie, at least that's like on this weird, like was it North Carolina, like, I mean, lot, you know, kind yeah. of plantation looking weird, yeah. you know, yeah. bizarre, but it's that's song of the South Disney yeah. bullshit looking right. place. Right. Yeah. It, the, the way, the way this whole movie, the vibe of this was like, they made it for people who really liked like the, the late stage Hellraiser sequels, you know, like all of those, <laughs> like they were all like late nineties, early two thousands, like the music felt like that. The set dressing felt like that. It, like it was shot like that in my mind. Mm-hmm. It all, the stylings of the whole film were like 20 years ago to, to my eyes. It was weird. I don't know why you would, you would do that. Right. Um, but you know, it's an aesthetic, I guess, I suppose. That's right. It's time for the mid roll read. And guess what? We don't even have to read shit this week. They're reading it for us. You ready for the, for this Scott? Yes, I'm ready. And now a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Bradley Smart, president and CEO of S-Smart, here to tell you all about Bruce Fest, the definitive Bruce Campbell Film Festival, returning to the Stanley Hotel this December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Join us for an intimate weekend with 300 other true Bruce Campbell fans for a world-exclusive first look at a piece from Evil Dead Rise. Bruce will be joined by special guest Ted Raimi for screenings, signings, photo opportunities, a cocktail party, a props exhibit featuring pieces from Sam Raimi's private collection, an immersive mystery set in the Evil Dead universe, and so much more. Tickets and info can be found at brucefest.co. We can't wait to see you there. And remember, shop smart, shop S-smart. Well, you you mentioned the music. This is something we should probably touch on because one of the things that like was kind of universally 
touted by uh, mm-hmm. even the people that hated the movie was that they love the John Carpenter and Cody Carpenter and Daniel A. Davies score. Yep. I, I want to challenge that just a little bit because I, I thought the score was fine. Uh, I don't think it fit the movie at all mm-hmm. or the tone of the movie at all. But like, I think that if you take John Carpenter name off of this and you, you put in, you know, a name nobody's ever heard of, nobody would be mentioning the score other than to say that it's kind of like a synthy, you know, Oh, well, actually, I yeah. did like the score and midway through the movie, you know, I realized I've noted the score like several times and was like, you know what? The, that score is pretty good. I wonder who. And I had completely forgotten that Carpenter did it. Mm. And then, like, I realized halfway through having the thought like, oh, of course, it's John Carpenter. I don't think it's one of his you know, best scores by any stretch of the imagination, but it did yeah. give it a unique feel. And I I like that kind of that kind of shit that he does. You know, it's almost almost but not quite like uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's, uh, you know, instrumental stuff. If you listen to Carpenter's lost themes album, like there's yeah. a dozen tracks on there that, that are better than anything in this thing. You know, it's like, there's, I don't know. I, I felt that that was super overblown, especially considering that you can't call it a great score if it doesn't fit the movie. You know what I mean? It's like, um, well, <laughs> let me, well, let me put it this way. Uh, it made for great background music. While I was uh, repeatedly pulling myself away from my phone while I was watching <laughs> right. this, <laughs> in I, that know, sense, it's a perfect score. Oh, it was great. Yeah. Um, you know, it just again, it like even like there's the there's the bit when um when Rainbird, who is another whole topic we'll get to in all the adaptations, I hope, um, is like first introduced and they're playing. It sounds like it's. I don't know, like Mudvayne or like Limp Bizkit or like something is playing <laughs> in the background. Like there's a few like pop songs or, you know, right. non-score elements in it. And they're all, it's all, it feels very like of, of another time. Um, but I, you know, I thought the Carpenter score was, was fine. I was excited that he was doing it. I thought it was kind of yeah. cool. Like, you know, the little thing about how he was supposed to direct this movie originally, but it, Oh yeah. But he didn't get it because um, the thing flopped. Uh, and so he did Christine instead yeah. Um, which I also just saw recently, which I, I think is, you know, has, you know, ups and downs too. But it, like, I, you know, this, like the Christine, this, and like, there were a whole bunch of movies that came out right around the same time, right? There was like a huge rush of these movies before yeah. they kind of went away, right? Um, so, and they all kind of have the same, I don't know, when did The Shiny come out? Was that like 81? It was 80. Yeah. 80. Okay. Yeah. So you had, you had this, you had Christine, you had fire, like children of the corn was in there. I think mm-hmm. um, Carrie was earlier. That was like 78, right? 79. Yeah. You're uh, talking about the, the birth of the Dino De Laurentiis years where it, yeah. I think Firestarter was the first, Dino. Um, uh, or was it creep show was creep show before this? I don't remember, right. but, uh, and I don't even remember if Dino was involved with creep show, but like there was that whole period of time where, where King, uh, just like kind of handed the reins to everything he had over to Dino De Laurentiis, who milked it for all his work. It was a dead zone. He did dead zone the first time, um, which oh. is really hilarious because you watch dead zone and it's such a great like movie movie. It's a real mm-hmm. movie. It's a mm-hmm. serious movie. Uh, very much in the vein of the early King movies, Carrie uh, uh, and uh, the shining, you know, those are movie movies, prestige kind of things. And then uh-huh. he tried to do that with Firestarter by, you know, paying, you know, Martin Sheen's in it and George C. Scott and like trying to get these top, top actors. And then after this, he goes, fuck it. Silver bullet, maximum overdrive. Cat's <laughs> eye. You know, Did this movie not do well? 
Like, I don't have any sense of any of that. Mm, no, that's no. a good question. I mean, it did not. It's, um, mm. first of all, it has a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. So well, I, do I don't need the, obviously the 22 one flopped. I mean the 84. Mm. Oh, that one? Uh, let me, I can tell you that too. <laughs> Looks like it, it made 15 million domestically, which isn't the, huge, but you know, that was back when. I'm lo- I'm seeing 17.1 to 18.9 million on a $12 million budget. Okay, so it 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 did okay. It did all right. The new one had the Uh exact same. Wait, is that true? Hold on a second. Both movies had the same budget, twelve million dollars. Um, and this one actually, and the new one actually made less, uh, at fourteen point nine. Well, that shows you, you know, twelve million dollars in eighty four would buy you a plantation and George C. Scott. Now, now it buys you a concrete hallway. So, you know, that's the economy for you. Yeah. Um, how much of that went to King? Probably a lot. So. Right. I, I get this was another De Laurentiis. Like he did the not he, his that company did it. I think it right. was whoever the new whoever took it over um, when Dino was gone. But um, anyway, whatever. So we're kind of we're going all over the place. There's lots to talk yes. about. Uh, the oh, score, yes. uh, the ending, um, the, the changes. That's what we're starting to get into. Yes. Right. Like the things, yeah, they, yeah. the choices they made. So. uh well, they 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 started much earlier. Like the, the the book and the movie both start with like Andy and Charlie on the run, and here like they get into a lot of like you know Charlie going to school and setting kids on fire and stuff like that. Which you know they they just made her character kind of it it felt to me you know like how in The Shining like one of the one of the few criticisms of the Kubrick version that I actually I I totally agree with is the idea that Jack Nicholson is evil the, from the first second you lay eyes on him like that dude. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be alone in a room with him, right? Yeah. Um, and this, like the 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 Charlie McGee in the twenty two version, felt like that too. Like I was never she she always seemed kind of you know like she was already in in the place where she was very willing and excited to set people on fire and burn them alive. Um, and and so there wasn't the same kind of transition that we saw with the Drew Barrymore version, where she was like a little girl who was terrified of what she had going on inside her. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't. You know, like this one seemed like she was she was bad from the start. Not bad, but like very willing to to use the ability from the beginning. Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think uh, the actress name is uh, Ryan Kira Armstrong. I think that she's solid. Like, I think she's a, a has a dinner to be, you know, a, a really great actress. But the problem is, and you kind of nailed it there, is that Drew Barrymore at times felt like just a, a little girl with his powers. Right. And and uh Charlie in the new movie to me just felt like, you know, the hair was always perfect. You know, it, she felt very actorly, you know, it felt very, I'm giving a performance versus there is no hint of a real authentic child that's grappling with the weight of all this stuff and being chased and the death of her mother. And, you know, the, you know, the being afraid of her own powers, being made to feel, you know, guilty for having these powers because her dad's trying to suppress them. And in the new movie, the Charlie in the new movie, like it doesn't, he kind of lacks that authenticity, I think, at least for me. Yeah. Um, I like when she set the cat on fire for almost no reason. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, and then her dad's like, you gotta, you gotta put it out of its misery. You gotta do it. Like the, the, there's a lot of like, inconsistency about you must never ever ever do this and then it's like well sometimes you sh- absolutely should do it right away um you know, just, you know 
put this thing out of its misery. And then she, right. and then doesn't, I'm forgetting, but like later, like in the third act, doesn't she do it to somebody? She sets, she sets a dude on fire, like an agent on fire is trying to get her mm-hmm. and then like melts him in half, like really like does some bad stuff to him. And then he's like, he's like, uh, um, just kind of like in the car, you mean see to the car. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, Oh, I got to put him out of his misery. Okay. And then she just, you know, torches him. Um, yeah. So that was, I mean, there were some, like, there were some fun, like, you know, stuff like that's always kind of fun, you know, the, the gnarly burn makeup and things like that. So, right. right. I don't know. And then there's, there's, there's the big, huge twist with Rainbird, which was that in you this, know, what in the new, fuck? I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I think that, I mean, at one point they pull that thing where the doctor tells Charlie, like, you're a superhero. Mm-hmm. And it almost seems like they're setting it up to where, you know, this superhero needs to learn to control her powers. And now Rainbird is going to maybe be the one to train her, you know? And mm-hmm. like, no, that's not, that's not how that's supposed to end. You know, <laughs> Rainbird's like a child molester in the book. And show, yeah, oh, yeah. Right? He's, he's deeply in love with a, an eight year old girl. Yeah. Uh, and so says it on screen repeatedly <laughs> kind of yeah. sets you sends you out of the theater with the wrong uh, taste in your mouth. Again, I think that's a problem, though, of, of people who know the material, because there's no hint of any of that in, in this movie. So okay, if you've never read fair. the book or seen the movie, it, it's really weird for people who have read the book, though, or seen the previous movie, because we're going to carry that baggage with us. But, you know, I also get, you know, the weird spot that they're in, you know, trying to make this today and go, we can't have a character talk about, you know, wanting to, you know, not only falling in love with an eight year old girl, but also wanting to like strangle her slowly to death and watch mm-hmm. her, her spirit leave her eyes. And that's how he's going to get off. You know, it's like, you can't put that in a movie today. So what are you going to do? And and I guess the idea I was guess we're also going to make him a, a victim of the shop and, and, uh, and his... also the, the henchman. And he also has powers. And now but he's what going were to... his powers. Like what he, could he do? Could he do a track? I think, I think that those were, yeah. his, which is uh, one of the, it seems super strong nose, too. Kind of. Oh, it's so, it, oh it's so God. on the nose. Like that, that feels like what, like, in the golden era of like the <laughs> of of the eighties comic stuff, where like we're gonna have a, a Native American character, you know, this I'm thinking of like the eighties and early nineties, where it's like Mortal Kombat introduced a Native American character, and it's just nothing but tomahawks and you know spirit yeah, wolf yeah. powers, and and then you have you know the Native comic characters in, in the comics, and it would be something like this. It's like, well, he's a good tracker and. You know, he, he can summon rain or something, you know, anything that would be the most stereotypical thing. Yeah. All right. So so let's I guess let's talk about the ending a little bit, because that, that's that's for me. It, it was, again, all set in concrete hallways. I cannot get over how frustrating that was to me, that it was just the same hallway over and over again. Fine. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. Just a problem for me. Um, but I also kind of get it because if you're going to do a movie with all these fire effects, you like setting it in a concrete hallway avoids the potential issue of that, you know, setting the set on fire. Right. right. It's all concrete. Um but they, the the dad gets captured. This is all the twenty two version, right? So Andy yeah. McGee is captured, and the the he he he's like tied to a chair basically. And then Charlie's there, and she's gonna try and set him free. And instead of her setting him free, Andy uses his push, his mental domination, I believe, to push her to set him on fire to kill him, so that she won't be like you know, want to, want to stay and save him. She'll just like run away and, and won't have the the burden of trying to care for him anymore, which if he's got the ability to push her to do that, I would think he would have the ability. Like, I don't know. I guess they had those weird contact lenses that made it impossible to push people, but like yeah. it, it seems like 
did that's like it goes against every theme of the whole movie i thought to have him right uh, not that they're it was all very muddled for me but so anyway charlie kills him um because he forces her to kill him and then she goes out and like is hiding on a beach and then out of nowhere rainbird shows up and picks her up and like walks away down the beach with her and that's how the movie ends right Mm -hmm. am i missing anything important no (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that no no (laughs) no you're not and in terms of the thematics I agree. It's way more muddled. It's, it's better, you know, as, as it was originally done where the father's giving, you know, dying cause he's pushed too much, yeah. you know, trying to protect her. And then he gives her permission. I guess this is the way to try to make that cinematic in like, say, instead of just saying, you know, you're free, don't let anybody try to control you, you know, you be you instead of saying it, he, you know, he's forcing, you know, something visual to happen with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, so I can kind of see the thought process there, but it's not, it's not as powerful. And again, I, it, it, I don't think it would have been though, just cause I, I just don't buy them as, as a father and daughter team. I just don't, they just feels like actors showing up for a gig to me. It doesn't, you know, n- not to, to shit on the acting again. I think the acting's fine. I think they're professional, mm-hmm. but like, I just don't buy it. I just don't watch that. And I'm not invested in their relationship at all. I'm not, none of it reads authentic. It's all surface level. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, I thought it was a shame what they did to poor Irv Manders, um, mm-hmm. who, uh, is an old, old fellow that they meet on the road, uh, as they're, as they're on the run, mm-hmm. uh, Andy and Charlie and in, uh, you know, again, I feel like I'm bringing all this, like, I really am bringing my experience of, of this book that I grew up with and this movie that I've, I've seen, you know, a couple times to like, like who gives a shit about whether Irv Manders in, in the new version is like a, a mean drunk, you know, like it doesn't, right. it shouldn't matter to me, but at the same time, for some reason it kind of does. And if, if they were going to do that, like, why not just call him, you know, Bill Smith or something like that? Why right. make, why, you know, if you're not going to do, if you're going to completely, completely change the character, what's the point of having it be the character? Just so, I mean, who does, who does that serve? Right. It certainly doesn't serve me as a longtime Stephen King fan. Right. And I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, there's, I feel like there's a lot of decisions like that. It like, mm. If you're going to make a Firestarter movie and make it different, right? Because all they really kept was the shop and the lot six and like the, the character names, like the rest mm-hmm. of this is, is totally different, I think. Right. And so if you're going to, if you're going to do something that veers off this significantly, just like, just do like really do it, you know, like don't, right. don't try to make it something that's kind of like the original version, which, you know, like you can see the shadow of the original version on this, but it's not really there. And so I, I don't know. It's it's a strange approach. I, think. Well, I can tell you why that bugs you. It's because like in that character's place is to show Charlie that that it's not everybody is out there to get her, you know, that it's not yeah. everybody's terrible and everybody's I mean, it might not be real, but like her that character's purpose in the story, you know, everybody's got something wrong with him. But that character's pur- purpose in the story is to show that there are kind, good hearted people that aren't hiding secrets. And, and even when, you know, the, he alerts the shop or whatever, it's, it's done out of uh, naivete. It's not done out of malice or, you know, I'm going to be mean or like whatever the fuck, you know, which kind of comes across in this new movie. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, you, you miss that. You miss that. You need that, that every once in a while, those anchors to show this character that not everybody deserves to be, you know, set on fire. 
<laughs> and and they give it to Rainbird. Like, you know, in the yeah. in the original versions, she goes back to Irv Manners because that's the place, you know, someone who showed her kindness where she thinks she might be able to be safe. And right. in, in this, like, you know, Rainbird carries her off, you know, the the assassin. I it's it's I don't know. I well, you know, we're trying to we're trying to analyze something that might be difficult to analyze for reasons that, you know, may, maybe it just kind of it wasn't there in the first place. I don't know. Right. Um, but I, I wonder know. if so, they had a little bit more of a budget if there was ever discussions of, you know, since they gave Rainbird, you know, kind of shop powers. Mm-hmm. If there was ever a discussion, if uh, of, if it was a larger budget, if there was going to be, you know, he was going to be the super villain to Charlie's uh, superhero, right? If they're going to try to put this into the modern, you know, superhero uh, mold, you know, if that was ever the, the thought and then they kind of held back and it just kind of put, you know, a uh, uh, rainbird kind of in the background for a lot of this stuff, just because, you know, if he was in the foreground, he would be burned alive or, or, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess not pushed cause they I, doesn't in the movie, doesn't he try to push rainbird and he's immune to it because of the thing. I don't know. I don't remember. I, unlike you guys, I watched this right when it came out and, uh, really? so I wasn't, I wasn't in a hurry to, uh, uh, to revisit it. So I'm, I'm leaning on you guys for the fresh takes on the, the new movie. <laughs> um, I, I did love when she, when Charlie toward the end of the movie sets somebody on fire, uh, that she doesn't like and says, I think she says liar, liar, pants on fire right. and, and sets them on fire. I would imagine that was in the original pitch document. Um, yes. <laughs> that, that's, that's what got a green lit. Of course. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised it wasn't the tagline for the, for the move on the, the poster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would like to point out that Keith Thomas, who directed this also directed the vigil, which is a really oh. fucking cool uh, horror film from 2019. Um, is that the one with the guys who go? Let me. I think I know. It's uh, like uh, it's it's about the person that's like overseeing a body during like a Jewish wake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's yeah. it's yep. not a dibbick, but it's um, like another kind of demon or something that they're kind of in a battle of wills with. And, you know, it's scary and blah, blah, blah. But that movie was really good. Um, I, I really like that one. This one, not so mm-hmm. much. In fact, this one has a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. The visual has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. And Keith well, Thomas is coming up on, I know we can't put a lot of value in Rotten Tomato scores, but I'm just illustrating a point. Um, the The cool thing is that I think I think this guy is a good director. I think he was hemmed in by the script and probably that budget. And not to mention Akiva Goldsman as producer. Yep. Yep. Uh, he should not be named. He's got an episode in that uh, forthcoming Guillermo del Toro anthology series on Netflix, the cabinet of curiosities. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see what he does with that. I don't know that. I think that that in my mind that that episode might determine like what kind of dude is this guy. We've seen a really good movie from him and we've seen a really bad movie from him. So it's a tiebreaker. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think he's got the goods. That's my bet. Interesting. All right. I mean, I, I, I hope so. Right. Like when you when you go into one of these things, like, right. you know, it's that old trope, like nobody goes into one, a project like this trying to make something bad, you know, like Kurtwood Smith, you know, he gave it his all. He always does. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I it just it, it didn't it didn't work for me. I don't it doesn't only work for any of us, which is which is too bad. Um. But you know, I, I guess it's, I guess it's cool that they took the swing. I would, I wonder if this was like, you know, sometimes like in comics, right? Like you have to make a, 
like the C-list characters for trademark reasons, you have to put out a series with them having top <laughs> building every so often in order to keep the trademark. So that's why you'll get all of a sudden out of nowhere, you'll get like a leapfrog comic or like just weird, you know, all of a sudden, huh. you know, the Sinister Six has their own, you know, comic book for four issues or something like that <laughs> because they want to keep, they want to keep the trademark. Um, and so like, this is again, you know, it's a De Laurentiis movie, right? So I wonder if they had a deal, like they had to make, they have to make a Firestarter movie over 20 years or they lose it or something like that. Um, <laughs> because it, you know, I, again, I don't know, I'm just speculating, but like it, it, it felt, it just felt kind of, kind of small, you know, like, like in, in a way that even the 84 version, which I guess you guys didn't like, you know, whatever. No. Um, but, also, De Laurentiis didn't produce this though. He did. Jason Blum and Akiba Goldsman did. Oh, wait a minute. Then what did uh, I... Mar- Martha De Laurentiis is... Martha, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at... I don't see that listed on what I'm looking at. Okay, fair enough. We'll check that IMDb. I, it might, might be uh, uh, just the fact that they made the original yeah, and they retained some rights. I don't know how... That's probably a paycheck thing. You know. Ah, yeah, it could be, could be, but I, you know, I don't know, or it might just be part of the, like, the, you know, the Stephen King Renaissance thing. Like every, you know, if you've got a property, you're going to try and get it made. Um, if you hold the rights to whatever Tommy knockers, you're going to try and do it. <laughs> um, but which actually, isn't there one, isn't there a Tommy knockers in the world? Yeah, yeah. Well, James Wan is, is, uh, is trying to get one going. Yeah. It's been so he, long since they announced that shit and there's been like no movement on it. And Juan is like, you know, he's working. No public movement. I, I know there's been some stuff behind the scenes, but a uh, word. Yeah, the, there no. was there was one one of your show, one of your episodes uh, where you guys are talking about like the the things that qualify you to be a real deal Stephen King fan. And one of them is like reading the Tommyknockers four times. I think you were you were just <laughs> what just, we said that you you said that Scott, but it was like you were saying it in terms of like who like who could be allowed to read Gunslinger or something. You know, that thing you always mm. talk about, like which order and all that shit. You right. Know, like, Whatever. Yeah, um, which I've been accused of gatekeeping for, for saying you don't deserve the gunslinger, <laughs> or the dark, dark Tower, if you can't uh, make it through the Gunslinger. Yeah, that wording yes, blew up exactly. in your face, son. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but but one of the things, you had like a, an arbitrary list of things that you had to do to to, to be considered a true student. <laughs> and one right. was like, you've read Tommyknockers four times. And I, have, I haven't read it four times, but I heard that. I was like, shit, I think I've read that book three times. And it's... <laughs> you know, uh, first of all, I don't remember saying that, but I will concede... <laughs> That it is definitely something I would say, but I have not read <laughs> the Tommy Knockers anywhere near four times. I think I've read it, that twice. Yeah. Yeah. I had a I had a phase when I was, you know, like we've already like on the last time I was on, we talked about where my Stephen King origin story, like where it all came from for me. But like there was a time when I was probably in, you know, early high school when I would just I was just reading reading all of them over and over and over again. So I pro- I think I probably read it like seven times. Um, wow. like the good ones I've read a lot. I'm a very, like, I'm a very fast reader. And so I could just zip through them. Um, so yeah, Tommy, I'm, Knockers, a, I'm a, a very slow reader, but yeah, anyway, I don't know what, I don't even know why I thought about Tommy knockers in terms of this, in terms of like, Oh, I know. Like you can, you can make, I think it doesn't matter the, the subject matter. Like Tom, there is probably a great movie in Tommy knockers. You just have to find it. You just have to find your way to it, mm-hmm. but it's hard. It's always really hard work. And I think there's a spectacular fire starter movie that could be made now with advances in effects and all the different things that we can do now, this wasn't the one. Um, whoever whoever needed to have the will to make that work was was not was not here. I think so. it'll be a long time before we see another feature based on Firestarter. What's more oh, yeah. likely to happen, I think, is like a Firestarter series. You know well, that, that I can imagine one. happening, but I wouldn't want to watch that either. There is one. 
It's called Firestarter Rekindled. What? Yeah. God yeah. fucking damn it. There's another version of this? There is. And I, I almost, I, I don't want to do any more Firestarter. Like if you guys have me back on again, I, I would really like to do something else. Oh, it's but, a mini series. Okay. I always thought it was because it's called Firestarter 2 Rekindled. I, I always thought it was oh, a, okay. like a directed video movie, but you're I thought right. You it's meant like three like hours. Whole ass series that I just somehow never heard of. Well, it's got Marguerite Moreau as a grown up Charlie McGee um, and then Rainbird's in it, but he's played by Malcolm McDowell. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like a sequel. Like supposedly she survives. Um, sorry, obviously Charlie survives, but uh, Rainbird survives that being set on fire at the end of of the eighty four movie and is still like you know consumed with the desire for revenge. So I think you get kind of like a um, you know in uh, who was the guy in Hannibal, the one who, who Gary Oldman played, right? Um, no, um, Mason Verger. Yeah. Yes. So I think I haven't seen this, but I'm guessing that Malcolm McDowell plays kind of like a Mason Verger, like all messed up <laughs> version of John Rainbird um, going after Charlie again, which, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's really good. You guys, maybe it's Dennis, Dennis Hopper's in this thing. It's like three hours. I don't know if I want to roll the dice on this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Charlie, you have to come back now and, and just so you can force Scott to watch this. I'm fucking. Christ, yeah, do that. Well, I guess so. The problem is I'd also be forcing myself to watch it. You um, got to get invited back first. I'm going to keep this true. in mind. You know what? This has this has 4.8 out of 10 with 3,027 votes on IMDb. So, like, interesting. You know, I mean, that's that's better than the one we just we actually just did watch. I don't know. I that's had, true. Uh, that's only at a 4.6. It's new one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually numbers. had a I had a birthday point two recently. better. Firestarting <laughs> something. Um, I had a birthday recently and my sister got me a cameo for Malcolm McDowell, uh, which was awesome. Like he, you know, it was, it was very unsettling to have Malcolm McDowell, like saying my name and Uh looking at me through the computer screen. But, uh, he kind of, geez, he just chatted for a while. He just went off. It was like a five minute thing. It was, it was a very thoughtful gift. So, uh, so I feel like I need to see everything he's ever done. And that definitely is (laughs) to repay his kindness for that cameo. (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly. To, to pay him back for his largesse and talking to, sort of talking to me for five minutes. He's pretty great. He's pretty cool. I met him uh, at Fantastic Fest last year. I did uh, an interview with him for a movie he's in called She Will. It's like him and Alice Krieger. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and I interviewed them and uh, uh, he, I had to press him for a Robert Shaw story because I'm such a huge Jaws yeah, yeah. nerd. And uh, mm-hmm. he was in a great movie with Robert Shaw that nobody has ever fucking seen. It's called Figures in the Landscape. And uh, so this is before he did Clockwork Orange and before Jaws. Uh, so, you know, it, and it's all about two fugitives on the run and there's a black helicopter chasing them across the English countryside. And huh. you don't know who's who they're running from. It turns out there's like this weird sci-fi angle to this whole thing. Oh, but these, that sounds but these But these guys are that are on the run. They are, they're not just like, oh, we're, we're prisoners on it. We're the, oh brother, where art thou? You know, we're just good old goofy prisoners. Like these guys are legit psychos and like they fucking murder people and, and, you know, but they're kind of chained together and one of them's more psycho than the other one is. And like, so it's this really great fucking movie. And so I brought that up and he told the story about how competitive Robert Shaw was, which you always hear if you're a big Jaws fan, you've, Mm. you've heard those stories of like him and Dreyfus. Uh, butting heads and him like always kind of treating him like shit because he was the top dog and wanted to make sure Travis knew his place kind of things. Um, and uh, yeah, so he was telling stories about 
how like Robert Shaw, who was like this trained runner, he's like, I don't know, Olympic runner, but like in his day, he was like a professional athlete, you know, and he ran, that was his thing. And, uh, and since this movie's all about them running just constantly, he wanted to test Malcolm McDowell, but he, Malcolm was like, I was a good, you know, 20, 30 years younger than, than he was. And, uh, uh, and so like he was essentially, you know, trying to call off the, <laughs> call off the, the, the bet once they were like in like this, the middle of the run, he's like, okay, you've proven yourself. And it was really because he was winded and didn't want to admit that Malcolm McDowell is better in shape than he was. So anyway, yeah. that's a long story, but, uh, uh, he he was very pleasant. He was also um, very nice, and he signed my time after time poster. So I'll always have go. some love for for Malcolm McDowell. So uh, so Scott, you don't have a Malcolm McDowell story. That's that's a shame. No, um, I've I've not crossed paths with him. I don't think. Um, mm. Probably well, saw you know him. The do? best, my my favorite guy along those lines that I ever interviewed at Fantastic Fest was Udo Kair. It was a <laughs> fucking madman. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god! Like, yeah. just a real character to talk to. And uh, I remember asking him, like, "So Udo, tell me, you play a lot of villainous roles, a lot of despicable, you know, scumbag people. Do people ever, you know, confuse you for those roles, and you know, are, are kind of standoffish to you?" And he was like, "No, on the contrary, uh, women <laughs> find it very interesting. They go." Oh, Udo, you're so evil. <laughs> and I was like, dude, you fucking rule. Uh, he was, he, that guy was just the best. You know, you know what I liked? I liked how you took, you took three seconds to center yourself before you did it. you like, there was this big pause and then you just went into it and you nailed it. Yeah. You, you did it really well. Udo's very easy. You can do Udo very easily. That, mm-hmm. that voice. Wow. You for know. you, for you. Don't, don't it's, just kind it's of. It's just like, it's like sexy German purr and you're good. You know. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to ask my sister to uh, get you a cameo of Malcolm McDowell. Yes. Yeah. So then the next time when we do Firestarter 2 Rekindled, yes. uh, we yes. can all have a Malcolm McDowell story. <laughs> yes, that's perfect. That is absolutely perfect. Um, yeah. No, no um, what we need to do is we need to bring Charles back uh, and then we're going to surprise him with uh, Malcolm McDowell being the guest, uh, a guest star at the same time to talk about. Uh, you know what? That would be a huge surprise. Something we talked about recently, Vespi, was the idea of a rule where if it's your third time on the show, you have to do whatever title we pick. Mm. We talked about mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah. You, you're talking about it right now, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, I'm reminding uh, ourselves, our listeners, and you, Charles. Um, maybe uh, you come back. It won't be so funny. You know, maybe it's not <laughs> Firestarter Rekindled. Maybe you're doing fucking trucks. You know, oh. that's a thing for you to think about. So, <laughs> so watch my watch my P's and Q's. That's what you're getting. Huh? <laughs> this, is, this sounds like the Cold War, <laughs> mutually assured destruction. Here. Oh my god! My I god. I would watch I would watch trucks again before I'd watch Firestarter. At really? least with trucks, you get that fucking remote control car kill. That's just so goddamn funny. You're right. You know, it's a gigantic piece of shit, but at least it's like you can ogle it. With Firestarter, I just felt like this is a bad movie and it's not a fun bad movie. It's just boring, most of it. Yeah, I was hoping at the end she would like really like start, you know, I mean, she kind of does like in, in they, they lean into the idea that she never she wanted to do this the whole time and she never really, you know, she she never really had any inhibition. She was just kind of like acting like she did. And so the yeah. first thing she does when she once he lets herself go is set two dudes heads on fire, which I thought, yeah, I mean. That is what you would probably do if you had the ability to do this. And you wanted to like start some start some shit. 
uh, right. just, you know, just set their heads on fire. That, that was nice. I did like that part. Um, but I, you know, I was hoping for like really, and I don't even know what this looks like. I'm trying to think of a movie that like does it really well, but like, you know, like really, really well done fire destroying a person effects, you know, like mm. I, I, you know, like how in, um, obviously like right as a lost Ark, right. You have that bit where everybody melts and, right. um, but so sort of like that, but closer to like, a, you know, the, the best, the best that modern CGI can do to, su- to suggest what it actually looks like when somebody's burning alive. I don't know why that was something I thought and hoped for at, toward the finale of this movie, but we, we didn't really get it. So mm. Um, yeah, that's always really tricky. Anytime you have somebody on fire, it, it just reeks of, unless it, it's either real and it's almost always people that are wearing eighteen layers, stunt due yeah. to eighteen people layers like and a waving mask around their yeah, arms, and, 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 oh. yeah, doing the same thing. And yep. uh, there was one thing I I went I went I visited a set for a movie like in it was shooting in Eastern Europe and it was called Solomon Kane. I don't know if you ever saw that. It was a adaptation yeah went on a solomon kane set visit i did i did um and one thing that was really interesting that they did that doesn't show through in the the final version of the movie um so it was like a bragging rights thing on set but it was like the longest stunt burn uh like recorded and it was this whole like finale of uh of the movie has Solomon Kane like fighting the bad guy on fire and the guys on fire and Solomon Kane like they're having this Robin Hood style sword fight while this dude's on fire and they shot it over the course of it was like he was the burn was over 45 seconds long and mm. they could do it because there's this new gel there's new technology to to uh, uh keep the stuntman from being you know burned alive during this thing uh and i was like this is really fascinating and a really cool thing to do for a genre movie in particular where you have you know this crazy new you know a uh, uh, stunt guy effect thing that can can so you have this thing that we've never seen before you can do one long continuous take and then you watch the final movie and they cut it you know, like it's a regular action scene. So it's like, well, now it's not impressive because you could have just lit that guy on fire, you know, four times, or, you know, every, you know, every hour versus like they shot it all in one continuous take. Um, so that looked good. I can say that that that's a fire fire thing looked good because the dude was actually on fire and he wasn't wearing, <laughs> you know. So so was the guy guys. like like magic so he could just be on fire and not die? Or was he literally burning th- alive? Because that'd be a pretty easy the to character. Duel. Yeah, the character. I think no. He, he. I think he was. Um, he was like an undead, you know, like villain uh, or something. Okay. So right. he could be on fire and still fight and not not give a shit. But uh, almost exclusively in movies, when there's a fire effect and it's digital, it just looks really it fucking looks, yeah, stupid. That's. I think that's yeah. one of the few things they like. It seems like they crack just about everything else, but that thing they haven't really figured out yeah. how to do. Unless you know what the thing is, when they do, like they probably have. We just don't notice it because it's seamless, you know. Right. So, so for all we know, it's it's all over the place. You know, they do it all over the place, but we just it's in movies that have. Maybe that's Avatar three. Avatar two is way of water, and so that's all about pioneering <laughs> way water way of effects, setting people on fire. <laughs> yeah, and so it'll be. Yeah, it'll be fire for Avatar three. James Cameron will just go and <laughs> and fix all the digital wrongs. That's what his his mission is. I am. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for Avatar two. Um, that is one of my big my big ones. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Look, I mean, when has he ever let us down? I mean, you know, you can you can split hairs and all that stuff, but like, I I a uh, uh, James Cameron spectacle on the big screen, like. Of course, I'm lining up right. for sure. It's unwise um, to ever bet against James Cameron. 
I'm sure the movie will be a monster success and he's an excellent filmmaker. That said, I don't really care about the Avatar universe. Like I'm going to see it obviously, but because I'm sure it'll be a spectacle, but I, well, what all I'm trying to communicate is that I don't have the genuine excitement as a fan. I have the excitement of, I think this filmmaker is a fucking baller and I'm curious what his latest spectacle looks like. I mean that to be, to clarify my position, it it, it is exactly that I Mm. like avatar as a science fiction property, whatever, you know, I'm not like, Oh, the, you know, Jake and Natiri, what have they been up to all this time? (laughs) That's not where I am. I am. I, I just, whatever James Cameron's been doing for, I don't know. How long has it been? 12 years, more than that, 16 Mm. years, whatever the hell it's been like that dude. It's not like he, you know, sat around, right? Whatever it, it took him that long to make this. And so it's going to be extraordinary. I think even if it's, even if the story is terrible or whatever, like I can't, I just can't <laughs> wait to see what an artist of that caliber has spent all that time making just like, mm. you know, it's like Furiosa or whatever. Like I just can't right. wait to see what that's going to be because you know, when George Miller spends 20 years making something, it's, it's usually pretty cool. Right. Um, right. So speaking yeah. of which, he his his new one's out any minute, right? George Miller. Yeah, next weekend. Yeah, I mean, wow. as we're having this conversation, three thousand years of longing. Very excited about yeah. that. Have you? Has there been any? Like, I haven't heard anything about it at all, other than that that incredible trailer. Yeah, I've talked to a few people who've seen it and they raved about it. Awesome. But no, wait, I also get the impression that it it'll probably be a little more divisive than Fury Road. So that's okay. I yeah, mean, of course, you know, I like a whatever. divisive thing. You know. Yeah. Um, the, the thing, and this is actually not a bad segue into, uh, the, the, like talking about what I have, what I have going on right now, other than the star Wars stuff. Yeah. Take um, it away. Because the, the big thing that I, that I've put out since we last talked is a, is a comic project. It's an eight issue series, um, called eight billion genies. And the premise of it is everybody on earth gets a genie and one wish at exactly the same moment. So, you know, like where you guys are, a little blue cartoon person pops up over your shoulder and says, hey, you get a wish. What do you want? Just keep in mind the, like, we kind of guide things. So the intent with which you make your wish will be taken into account in the way that it's granted. And so it just goes from there. And it's, like I said, eight issues. First issue is the first eight minutes. Then it's the first eight hours, the first eight days, the first eight weeks, and so on, all the way to the last issue, which is the first eight centuries. Um and so it has been really like going pretty gangbusters as a comic, which has been fun. People have really been enjoying it. And uh, Amazon picked it up um, in, a, in a pretty cool like situation, bidding situation, I guess. Um, and they're, they're planning to make a, a movie and a bunch of other stuff out of it. So Ooh, um, congrats. Yeah, no, it's, it's neat. It's, it's been neat to see it like perpetrate through the ecosystem a little bit uh, and, and, and see how people are thinking about it and how they will, because really, you know, unlike say like Firestarter, for example, like that first movie was pretty much a literal adaptation. And this is really, you know, we have the way that, that Ryan Brown, who's the artist on the comic, he's an old good friend of mine. Um, the way we, we basically adapted the concept, right? Everybody on earth gets a genie in one wish at the same moment. And what we did is how you would do it as a comic in our opinion. And so now it's really like, okay, how do you do that as a movie? And, and it's probably going to be just vastly different from what we did in the comic, but that's, we, we're not bothered by it. That's okay. Because it's such a, it's such a vast idea with so many different entry points. And I mean, literally everybody has a story that can be told with it. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's been, it's been really fun to write and like choose the, 
choose the way to weave through that premise for, for Ryan and me in the comic. Um, and then to be, be part of the way that, you know, Amazon's brain trust is approaching doing it as a, as a movie and everything has been, it's just been, it's been super, super cool. It's still early days, but, um, but it's exciting. So four issues of that are out. It's halfway done. You can get it at comic shops and comiXology, wherever you want. Um, and then it's coming out monthly. So it'll run through the rest of the year. And then the big hardcover collection will probably be next spring. So that's, right that's the big thing that's taking up my time right now, other than Star Wars. That sounds really cool. Well, thank you so much for being here today and uh, forcing us to have this conversation. Uh, it was, it <laughs> yeah. was a pleasure. Um, and, uh, you know, next time you come back, uh, we're going to throw it back right at you. I, I guess that's the rule that you just made up on this podcast. But. <laughs> no, I had said it before to Vespi, so it counts. <laughs> in private, when nobody could hear, when, when he was in Canada. Right? That's true. It still counts. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, Thumbs the rules. Well, well, look, do your worst. I'm sure, I'm sure that, uh, you know, how bad could it possibly be? Right? Okay. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for anyway, being well, here today, Charles. Was, uh, man, always a pleasure talking to you guys. I really appreciate it. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll do it again sort of soonish. Yes, right? sir. Many thanks to Charles Soule for coming back and also forcing you to watch the new Firestarter because I watched that movie when it came out like a good Stephen King podcast host and uh, mm-hmm. one of us didn't had to be forced to do it by one of our guests. That's true. Charles is on my shit list now, but um, <laughs> I feel like we recorded this one a while ago. And so I actually watched this quite a while in the past from when you're actually hearing it. So I've had time to get over it. Right. But uh, still, Charles gets his next title picked for him and we will do him dirty on that. I assure you. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about next week. I think we should. I think this one's going to be maybe a new favorite episode for a lot of people. It is a returning guest. We are talking about the short story, the monkey Mm-hmm. From Skeleton Crew, you know, the the actual thing that's on the cover of Skeleton Crew. Mm-hmm. The monkey with the symbol. It's the creepy story about an evil monkey that kills people. Like a monkey toy, though. It's not even a real one. Right. Um, it's one of the more standout Stephen King short stories. And we've never focused on it uh, as its own episode. And our guest is a returning favorite. An author. Horror author of some renown. For sure. Uh, what else can we say? Um, well, He's I mean, a great listen, I think it's gonna be great. So it's going to be fairly obvious who, who this is. Uh, I will just say that the, uh, this author has returned with many more horrific stories of, of, uh, handling and encountering creepy crawlies. And it is yes. incredibly entertaining this episode. There, yeah. It, it's pretty <laughs> rollicking this one. There comes a point where I asked our guest if he's fucking with us. Cause he keeps telling us more and more outrageous stories about handling snakes or yeah, spiders. At a certain point, stuff. You know, we got to put a camera in this person's house. Yeah. Just to, just to see what's going on over there. They, Cause it seems like a, a, a waking nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah it's it's a really fun episode fun conversation uh always a pleasure to talk to this guest and uh we've already uh arranged to talk to him later on in the new year because he has a new book coming out in the new year yes um yes so very prolific so lots of excuses for him to come back on the king cast and uh we will have this guest on as many times as he wants indeed and uh coming up this friday on the patreon we've got a brand new bonus episode for you as always uh which is a perfect chance for us to remind you that you should really sign up for the king cast patreon if you are not already you can sign up as 
you know, anywhere from three to $10 a month, uh, several options there. Signing up will grant you immediate access to dozens upon dozens, if not, I don't know how many. There's a shit ton of of episodes over there, folks. If you only ever listen to the show in the main feed, you're only getting like half the show. You owe it to yourselves. If you like the Kinkcast, go over there try it for one month and just go through and pick out some of the some of the past episodes we've done. See if it's not worth your money. We'll take that challenge. A lot of cool shit happening over there. We got a new bonus app coming this Friday. The the shape of that is still taking shape. So um, we will we'll have a more specifics on that for you soon. Uh, And next week will be uh, this month's uh, commentary track, which I'm also very excited about. Uh, it's been yeah, a long no, year, I, dude. It's been a long yeah. year. I know we're we're wrapping up, but I I uh, can tease that we are talking to some incredible returning and new people to wrap up the year. And if everybody who's committed uh, actually records by the end of December, y'all are gonna have uh, some really awesome awesome uh, guests coming up. So yeah, and uh, we also announced. Well, we didn't announce, I guess. Uh, Midsummer Screaming announced that we are going out to uh, Pasadena, California at the beginning of December. That's the the first weekend, the second through the fourth. We will be there for this this year's uh, season screamings event, uh, hosting a panel called The Shining Legacy with special guests Mick Garris, Mike Flanagan, Henry Thomas and Steven Weber. So you're going to get both Jack Torrance's on that stage. You're going to get two of the three directors who have who have. it featured the shining on screen in their work Mm. Uh, Two Jack Torrance's um, we couldn't get Kubrick and Nicholson. Unfortunately, Mm. Um, it turns out Nicholson might be front row with his, uh, his chili, his bowl of chili that he takes with him everywhere. You know, that could be true. We just need to tell him it's a Lakers game and he'll be Jack. He's earned it. He can, he can walk around with chili all he wants. (laughs) I'd be spilling it all over himself and not giving a fuck. Jack, you've earned it. Um, and Stanley Kubrick, as I, as I was, uh, about to say, um, is, it turns out he's just really dead. So we couldn't yeah. get him. Um, but we got everyone else and, uh, we expect this will be a very, very, uh, spirited conversation between, uh, uh, these four gentlemen. And we are, we are extremely proud to be hosting that. You can get your tickets to that at midsummerscream.org. And mm-hmm. that will take you to the landing page for uh, season screamings and uh, tell you a little bit more about what other guests are going to be there. They're still announcing. They're still rolling out their uh, programming, mm-hmm. but uh, we're really excited to make it out to the West Coast finally. And uh, we hope to see a bunch of you there. Hell yeah, it's going to be a fun time. So in the meantime, next week we have the monkey for your auditory pleasure and uh whatever we got cooking for this friday bonus episode yes uh, coming up so we'll see y'all next week for the monkey adios folks the king cast is a fangoria podcast production the show is produced hosted and created by eric vespi that's me and scott wampler tira ansley and abby goel are executive producers daniel danger is our art director and editing is done by yours truly 